Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today begins a new classic for your entertainment, Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped, which is told to us by 17-year-old David Balfour, a young man of the Lowlands, which is the southern part of Scotland. David's father, Alexander Balfour, has recently died, and his mother had died some time before, so he, at age 17, is legally an orphan. He doesn't want to be placed in custody of the county, and so has decided to set out on his own to seek his fortune. The story is a true classic adventure novel, and one of the best ever written. I hope you enjoy it. And now, Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter 1. I Set Off Upon My Journey to the House of Shaw's. I will begin the story of my adventures with a certain morning early in the month of June, the year of grace, 1751, when I took the key for the last time out of the door of my father's house. The sun began to shine upon the summit of the hills as I went down the road, and by the time I had come as far as the manse, the blackbirds were whistling in the garden lilacs, and the mist that hung around the valley in the time of the dawn was beginning to arise and die away. Mr. Campbell, the minister of Essendine, was waiting for me by the garden gate. Good man! He asked me if I had breakfasted, and hearing that I lacked for nothing, he took my hand in both of his and clapped it kindly under his arm. "'Well, Davy lad,' said he, "'I will go with you as far as the ford to set you on the way.' And we began to walk forward in silence. "'Are you sorry to leave Essendine?' said he, after a while. "'Why, sir,' said I, "'if I knew where I was going, or what was likely to become of me, "'I would tell you candidly. "'Essendine is a good place indeed, and I have been very happy there.' "'but then I've never been anywhere else. "'My father and mother, since they are both dead, "'I shall be no nearer to in Essendine "'than in the kingdom of Hungary. "'And, to speak truth, "'if I thought I had a chance to better myself "'where I was going, "'I would go with a good will.' "'Aye,' said Mr. Campbell. "'Very well, Davy. "'Then it behoves me to tell your fortune, "'or so far as I may. "'When your mother was gone, "'and your father, the worthy Christian man, "'began to sicken for his end.' "'He gave me in charge a certain letter, "'which he said was your inheritance. "'So soon,' says he, "'as I am gone, "'and the house is read up "'and the gear disposed of, "'all which, Davy, hath been done. "'Give my boy this letter into his hand, "'and start him off to the house of Shaw's, "'not far from Cramond. "'That is the place I came from,' he said, "'and it's where it befits that my boy should return. "'He is a steady lad,' your father said, "'and a canny goer.' "'and I doubt not he will come safe "'and be well-lived where he goes.' "'The house of Shaw's!' I cried. "'What had my poor father to do with the house of Shaw's?' "'Nay,' said Mr. Campbell. "'Who can tell that for a surety? "'But the name of that family, Davy boy, "'is a name you bear, Balfour's of Shaw's, "'an ancient, honest, reputable house, "'peradventure in these latter days decayed. "'Your father, too, was a man of learning "'as befitted his position.' "'No man more plausibly conducted school. "'Nor had he the manner or the speech of a common dominie. "'But, as ye will yourself remember, "'took I a pleasure to have him to the manse to meet the gentry "'and those of my own house. "'Campbell of Kilrennet, Campbell of Dunswire, "'Campbell of Minch, and others, "'all well-kenned gentlemen, had pleasure in his society. "'Lastly, to put all the elements of this affair before you, "'here is the testamentary letter itself.' superscribed by the own hand of our departed brother. He gave me the letter, which was addressed in these words, 
to the hands of Ebenezer Balfour, Esquire of Shaw's, in his house of Shaw's. These will be delivered by my son, David Balfour. My heart was beating hard at this great prospect now suddenly opening before a lad of seventeen years of age, the son of a poor country dominie in the forest of Ettrick. "'Mr. Campbell,' I stammered, "'and if you were in my shoes, would you go?' "'Of a surety,' said the minister. "'That would I, and without pause. "'A pretty lad like you should get to Cramond, "'which is near in by Edinburgh, in two days of walk. "'If the worst came to the worst, and your high relations, "'as I cannot but suppose them to be somewhat of your blood, "'should put you to the door, "'you can but walk the two days back again and risp at the man's door.' "'but I would rather hope that ye shall be well received, "'as your poor father forecast for you, "'and for anything that I can, "'you'll come to be a great man in time. "'And here, Davy, laddie,' he resumed, "'it lies near upon my conscience to improve this parting "'and set you on the right guard against the dangers of the world.' "'Here he cast about for a comfortable seat, "'lighted on a big boulder under a birch by the trackside, "'sate down upon it with a very long, serious upper lip, "'and the sun now shining in upon us between two peaks, "'put his pocket-handkerchief over his cocked hat to shelter him. "'There, then, with uplifted forefinger, "'he first put me on my guard against a considerable number of heresies, "'to which I had no temptation, "'and urged upon me to be instant in my prayers and reading of the Bible. "'That done, he drew a picture of the great house that I was bound to, "'and how I should conduct myself with its inhabitants. "'Be supple, Davy, and things immaterial,' said he. "'Bear ye this in mind, that—' "'Though gentle-born, you've had a country rearing. "'Dinna shame us, Davy. "'Dinna shame us. "'In yon great muckle house with all these domestics, "'upper and under, show yourself as nice, as circumspect, "'as quick at the conception, and as slow of speech as any. "'As for the laird, remember, he's the laird. "'I say no more. "'Honor to whom honor. "'It's a pleasure to obey a laird, or should be, to the young.' "'Well, sir,' said I, "'it may be, and I promise you, "'I'll try to make it so.' "'Why, very well said,' replied Mr. Campbell, heartily. "'And now to come to the material, "'or to make a quibble, to the immaterial. "'I have here a little packet which contains four things.' "'He tugged it as he spoke, "'and with some great difficulty, "'from the skirt pocket of his coat. "'Of these four things, "'the first is your legal due.' "'the little pickle money for your father's books and plenishing, "'which I have bought, as I've explained from the first, "'in the design of reselling at a profit to the incoming dominee. "'The other three are gifties that Mrs. Campbell and myself "'would be blithe of your acceptance. "'The first, which is round, will likely please ye best as the first off-go. "'Oh, Davy, laddie, it's but a drop of water in the sea. "'It'll help you but a step, and vanish like the morning. "'The second, which is flat and square and written upon, "'will stand by you through life "'like a good staff for the road "'and a good pillow to your head in sickness. "'And as for the last, which is cubical, "'that'll see you. "'It's my prayerful wish into a better land.' "'With that he got up upon his feet, "'took off his hat, "'and prayed a little while aloud, "'and in affecting terms, "'for a young man setting out into the world, "'then suddenly took me in his arms "'and embraced me very hard, "'then held me at arm's length "'and crying good-bye to me, "'set off backward by the way that we had come "'at a sort of jogging run. "'It might have been laughable to another, "'but I was in no mind to laugh. "'I watched him as long as he was in sight, "'and he never stopped hurrying, 
nor once looked back. Then it came in upon my mind that this was all his sorrow at my departure, and my conscience smote me hard and fast, because I, for my part, was overjoyed to get away out of that quiet countryside, and go to a great busy house, among rich and respected gentlefolk of my own name and blood. Davy, Davy, I thought, was ever seen such a black ingratitude. Can you forget old favors and old friends at the mere whistle of a name? Fie, fie, think shame. And I sat down on the boulder the good man had just left, and opened the parcel to see the nature of my gifts. That which he had called cubicle I had never had much doubt of. Sure enough, it was a little Bible, to carry in a plaid nook. That which we had called round, I found to be a shilling piece. And the third, which was to help me so wonderfully both in health and sickness all the days of my life, was a little piece of coarse yellow paper, written upon thus in red ink, to make lily of the valley water. Take the flowers of lily of the valley, and distill them in sack, and drink a spoonful or two as there is occasion. It restores speech to those who have the dumb palsy. It is good against the gout. It comforts the heart and strengthens the memory. And the flowers, put into a glass, close stopped, and set into an anthill for a month. Then take it out, and you will find a liqueur which comes from the flowers, which keep in a vial. It is good, ill or well, and whether man or woman. In the minister's own hand was added, Likewise for sprains, rub it in, and for the colic, a great spoonful in the hour. To be sure, I laughed over this, but it was rather tremulous laughter, and I was glad to get my bundle on my staff's end and set out over the ford and up the hill upon the farther side, till, just as I came on the green drove road running wide through the heather, I took my last look of Kirk Essendine. The trees about the manse and the big rowans in the kirkyard where my father and my mother lay. We'll return with Chapter 2 of Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped right after these sponsor messages. CHAPTER Two: I COME TO MY JOURNEY'S END On the forenoon of the second day, coming to the top of a hill, I saw all the country fall away before me down to the sea, and in the midst of this descent, on a long ridge, the city of Edinburgh smoking like a kiln. There was a flag upon the castle, and ships moving or lying anchored in the firth, both of which, for as far away as they were, I could distinguish clearly, and both brought my country heart into my mouth. Presently after, I came by a house where a shepherd lived, and got a rough direction for the neighborhood of Cramond, and so, from one to the other, worked my way to the westward of the capital by Collington, till I came out upon the Glasgow Road, and there, to my great pleasure and wonder, I beheld a regiment marching to the fifes, every foot in time, an old red-faced general on a gray horse at the one end, and at the other the company of grenadiers, with their pope's hats. The pride of life seemed to mount into my brain at the sight of the red coats and the hearing of that merry music. A little farther on, and I was told I was in Cramond Parish, and began to substitute in my inquiries the name of the House of Shaws. It was a word that seemed to surprise most of whom I sought my way. At first I thought the plainness of my appearance, in my country habit, and that all dusty from the road, consorted ill with the greatness of the place to which I was bound. "'but after two or maybe three "'had given me the same look and the same answer, "'I began to take it in my head "'that there was something strange "'about the Shaws itself. "'The better to set this fear at rest, "'I changed the form of my inquiries, "'and spying an honest fellow "'coming along a lane on the shaft of his cart, "'I asked him if he'd ever heard tell of a house "'they called the House of Shaws. "'He stopped his cart and looked at me, "'like the others. "'I,' said he, 
"'What for? "'Is it a great house?' I asked. "'Doubtless,' says he. "'The house is a big muckle house.' "'Aye,' said I. "'But the folk that are in it?' "'Folk?' cried he. "'Are ye daft? "'There's nigh folk there to call folk.' "'What?' say I. "'Not Mr. Ebenezer?' "'Oh, aye,' says the man. "'There's the laird, to be sure. "'If it's him you're one. "'What'll like be your business, Manny?' "'I was led to think that I would get a situation,' I said, "'looking as modest as I could. "'What?' cries the carter, "'in so sharp a note that his very horse started. "'And then... "'Well, Manny,' he added, "'it's none of my affairs, "'but ye seem a decent-spoken lad, "'and if you'll take a word from me, "'you'll keep clear of the shaws.' The next person I came across was a dapper little man in a beautiful white wig, whom I saw to be a barber on his rounds, and knowing well that barbers were great gossips, I asked him plainly what sort of man was Mr. Balfour of the Shaws. "'Hoot, hoot, hoot,' said the barber. "'Nay kind of man at all,' and began to ask me very shrewdly what my business was. But I was more than a match for him at that, and he went on to his next customer no wiser than he came." I cannot well describe the blow this dealt to my illusions. The more indistinct the accusations were, the less I liked them, for they left the wider field to fancy. What kind of a great house was this, that all the parish should start and stare to be asked the way to it? Or what sort of gentleman, that his ill fame should be thus current on the wayside? If an hour's walking would have brought me back to Essendine, I'd have left my adventure then and there, and returned to Mr. Campbell's. But when I'd come so far away already— Mere shame would not suffer me to desist till I'd put the matter to the touch of proof. I was bound, out of mere self-respect, to carry it through, and as little as I liked the sound of what I heard, and slow as I began to travel, I still kept asking my way, and still kept advancing. It was drawing on to sundown when I met a stout, dark, sour-looking woman coming trudging down a hill, and she, when I put my usual question, turned sharp about, "'accompanied me back to the summit she had just left, "'and pointed to a great bulk of buildings "'standing very bare upon a green "'in the bottom of the next valley. "'The country was pleasant round about, "'running in low hills, "'pleasantly watered and wooded, "'and the crops, to my eyes, wonderfully good. "'But the house itself appeared to be a kind of ruin. "'No road led up to it. "'No smoke arose from any of the chimneys, "'nor was there any semblance of a garden. "'My heart sank. "'That?' I cried. The woman's face lit up with malignant anger. "'That is the house of Shaws,' she cried. "'Blood stopped the building of it. Blood shall bring it down. "'See here!' she cried again. "'I spit upon the ground and cracked my thumb at it. "'Black be its fall. "'If ye see the laird, tell him what ye hear. "'Tell him this makes the twelve hundred nineteen time "'that Janet Clouston has called down the curse on him and his house, "'buyer and stable, man, guest, and master.' "'Wife, Mr. Barn, black, black be their fall.' "'And the woman, whose voice had risen to a kind of eldritch sing-song, "'turned with a skip and was gone. "'I stood where she left me, with my hair on end. "'In those days folks still believed in witches and trembled at a curse, "'and this one falling so pat, like a wayside omen, "'to arrest me ere I carried out my purpose, "'took the pith out of my legs. "'I sat me down and stared at the house of Shaw's, the more I looked, the pleasanter that countryside appeared, being all set with hawthorn bushes full of flowers, the fields dotted with sheep, a fine flight of rooks in the sky, 
"'and every sign of a kind soil and climate. "'And yet the barrack in the midst of it "'went sore against my fancy. "'Country folk went by from the fields "'as I sat there on the side of the ditch, "'but I lacked the spirit to give them a good hello. "'At last the sun went down, "'and then, right up against the yellow sky, "'I saw a scroll of smoke go mounting, "'not much thicker, as it seemed to me, "'than the smoke of a candle. "'But still, there it was, "'and that meant a fire, and warmth, and cookery, "'and some living inhabitant that must have lit it. "'And this comforted my heart, "'so I set forward by a little faint track in the grass "'that led in my direction. "'It was very faint indeed to be the only way "'to a place of habitation, yet I saw no other. "'Presently it brought me to stone uprights, "'with an unroofed lodge beside them, "'and coats of arms upon the top. "'A main entrance it was plainly meant to be, "'but never finished. "'Instead of gates of wrought iron, "'a pair of hurdles were tied across with a straw rope.' and as there were no park walls, nor any sign of avenue, the track that I was following passed on the right hand of the pillars, and went wandering on toward the house. The nearer I got to that, the drearier it appeared. It seemed like the one wing of a house that had ever been finished. What should have been the inner end stood open on the upper floors, and showed against the sky with steps and stairs of uncompleted masonry. Many of the windows were unglazed, "'and bats flew in and out like doves out of a dovecoat. "'The night had begun to fall as I got close, "'and in three of the lower windows, "'which were very high up and narrow and well barred, "'the changing light of a little fire began to glimmer. "'Was this the palace I'd been coming to? "'Was it within these walls that I was to seek new friends "'and begin great fortunes? "'Why, in my father's house on Essen Waterside, "'the fire and the bright lights would show a mile away, "'and the door opened to a beggar's knock.' I came forward cautiously, and giving ear as I came, heard someone rattling with dishes, and a little dry, eager cough that came in fits, but there was no sound of speech, and not a dog barked. The door, as well as I could see in the dim light, was a great piece of wood all studded with nails, and I lifted my hand with a faint heart under my jacket, and knocked once. Then I stood and waited. The house had fallen into a dead silence. A whole minute passed away. A whole minute passed away, and nothing stirred but the bats overhead. I knocked again, and hearkened again. By this time my ears had grown so accustomed to the quiet that I could hear the ticking of the clock inside as it slowly counted out the seconds, but whoever was in that house kept deadly still, and must have held his breath. I was in two minds whether to run away, but anger got the upper hand, and I began instead to rain kicks and buffets on the door, and to shout out aloud for Mr. Balfour. I was in full career when I heard the cough right overhead, and jumping back and looking up, beheld a man's head in a tall nightcap, and the bell mouth of a blunderbuss, and the bell mouth of a blunderbuss at one of the first story windows. It's loaded, said a voice. I've come here with a letter, I said, to Mr. Ebenezer Balfour of Shaw's. Is he here? From whom is it? asked the man with the blunderbuss. That's neither here nor there, for I was growing very wroth. Well? "'was the reply. "'You can put it down on the doorstep "'and be off with you.' "'I will do no such thing,' I cried. "'I will deliver it into Mr. Balfour's hands, "'as it was meant that I should. "'It's a letter of introduction.' "'A what?' cried the voice, sharply. "'I repeated what I had said. "'Who are you, yourself?' "'was the next question, after a considerable pause. "'I am not ashamed of my name,' said I. "'They call me David Balfour.' "'At that,' I made sure the man started, for I heard the blunderbuss rattle on the window sill, 
and it was after quite a long pause and with a curious change of voice that the next question followed. Is your father dead? I was so much surprised at this that I could find no voice to answer, but stood staring. Aye, the man resumed. He'll be dead, no doubt, and that'll be what brings ye chappin' to my door. Another pause, and then defiantly, Well, man, he said, I'll let ye in. And he disappeared from the window. And now chapter three, I make acquaintance of my uncle. Presently there came a great rattling of chains and bolts, and the door was cautiously opened and shut again behind me as soon as I had passed. "'Go into the kitchen and touch nothing,' said the voice, and while the person of the house set himself to replacing the defences of the door, I groped my way forward and entered the kitchen. The fire had burned up fairly bright, and showed me the barest room I think I ever put my eyes on. Half a dozen dishes stood upon the shelves. The table was laid for supper with a bowl of porridge, a horn spoon, and a cup of small beer. Besides what I have named, there was not another thing in that great, stone-vaulted, empty chamber but lock-fast chests arranged along the wall and a corner covered with a padlock. As soon as the last chain was up, the man rejoined me. He was a mean, stooping, narrow-shouldered, clay-faced creature, and his age might have been anything between fifty and seventy. His nightcap was of flannel, and so was the nightgown that he wore, instead of coat and waistcoat over his ragged shirt. He was long unshaved, but what most distressed and even daunted me, he would neither take his eyes away from me nor look me fairly in the face. What he was, whether by trade or birth, was more than I could fathom, but he seemed most like an old, unprofitable serving man who should have been left in charge of that big house upon board wages. "'Are you sharp-set?' he asked, glancing about at the level of my knee. "'You can eat that drop parch?' I said I feared it was his own supper. "'Oh,' said he, "'I can do fine wanting it. I'll take the ale, though, for it slackens my cough.' He drank the cup about half out, still keeping an eye upon me as he drank, and then suddenly held out his hand. "'Let's see the letter,' said he. I told him the letter was for Mr. Balfour, not for him. "'And who do you think I am?' says he. Give me Alexander's letter. You know my father's name? It'd be strange if I didna, he returned, for he was my barn brother, and as little as you seem to like either me or my house, or my good porch, I'm your born uncle, Davy, my man, and you my barn nephew, so give us the letter, and sit down and fill your kite. If I'd been some years younger, what with shame, weariness, and disappointment, I believe I would have burst into tears at that point. As it was, I could find no words, neither black nor white, but handed him the letter and sat down to the porridge with as little appetite for meat as ever a young man had. Meanwhile, my uncle, stooping over the fire, turned the letter over and over in his hands. "'Do you know what's in it?' he asked suddenly. "'You see for yourself, sir,' said I, "'that the seal has not been broken.' "'Aye,' said he. "'But what brought you here?' "'To give the letter,' said I. "'No,' says he, cunningly, "'but you'll have had some hopes, no doubt.' "'I confess, sir,' said I, "'when I was told that I had kinsfolk well to do, "'I did indeed indulge the hope "'that they might help me in my life. "'But I'm no beggar. "'I look for no favors at your hands, "'and I want none that are not freely given, "'for as poor as I appear, "'I have friends of my own "'that will be blithe to help me.' "'Hoot toot!' said Uncle Ebenezer. "'Didn't fly up in the snuff at me.' "'We'll agree fine yet. 
"'And Davy, my man, if you're done with that bit porridge, "'I could just take a sup of it myself.' "'Aye,' he continued, "'as soon as he had ousted me from the stool and the spoon. "'They're fine, wholesome food. "'They're grand food, parch. "'He murmured a little grace to himself and fell too. "'Your father was very fond of his meat, I mind. "'He was a hearty, if not a great eater. "'But as for me, I could never do more than poke at food.' He took a pull at the small beer, which probably reminded him of hospitable duties, for his next speech ran thus. "'If you're dry, you'll find water behind the door.' To this I returned no answer, standing stiffly on my two feet, and looking down upon my uncle with a mighty angry heart. He, on his part, continued to eat like a man under some pressure of time, and to throw out little darting glances, now at my shoes, and now at my homespun stockings. Once only, when he had ventured to look a little higher— our eyes met, and no thief taken with a hand in a man's pocket could have shown more lively signals of distress. This set me in a muse, whether his timidity arose from too long a disuse of any human company, and whether, perhaps, upon a little trial, it might pass off, and my uncle change into an altogether different man. From this thinking I was awakened by his sharp voice. "'Your father's been long dead?' he asked. Three weeks, sir,' said I. "'He was a secret man, Alexander, a secret, silent man,' he continued. "'He never said muckle when he was young. "'You'll never have spoken muckle of me. "'I never knew, sir, till you told it to me yourself, that he even had a brother.' "'Dear me,' said Ebenezer. "'Nor yet of Shaw's, I dare say.' "'Not so much as the name, sir,' said I. "'To think of that,' said he. "'The strange nature of a man.' For all that, he seemed singularly satisfied, but whether with himself or me or with this conduct of my father's was more than I could read. Certainly, however, he seemed to be outgrowing that distaste or ill-will that he had conceived at first against my person, for presently he jumped up, came across the room behind me, and hit me smack upon the shoulder. "'We'll agree fine yet,' he cried. "'I'm just as glad I let you in. And now come away to your bed.' To my surprise, he lit no lamp or candle, but set forth into the dark passage, groped his way, breathing deeply, up a flight of steps, and paused before a door which he unlocked. I was close upon his heels, having stumbled after him as best I might, and then he bade me go in, for that was my chamber. I did as he bid, but paused after a few steps, and begged a light to go to bed with. "'Hoot toot!' said Uncle Ebenezer. "'There's a fine moon out.' "'Neither moon nor star, sir, and pet murk,' said I. "'I cannot see the bed.' "'Hoot toot,' said he. "'Light in a house is a thing I dinna agree with. "'I'm feared of fires. Good night to you.' "'And before I had time to add a further protest, "'he pulled the door to, and I heard him lock me in from the outside. "'I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. "'The room was as cold as a well, "'and the bed, when I had found my way to it, "'as damp as a peat-hag.' but by good fortune I had caught up my bundle and my plaid, and rolling myself in the latter, I lay down upon the floor under lee of the big bedstead, and fell speedily asleep. With the first peep of day I opened my eyes to find myself in a great chamber, hung with stamped leather, furnished with fine embroidered furniture, and lit by three fair windows. Ten years ago, or perhaps twenty, it must have been as pleasant a room to lie down or to awake in as a man could wish, but damp dirt, disuse, and the mice and spiders had done their worst since then. Many of the window-panes, besides, were broken, 
"'and indeed this was so common a feature in that house "'that I believe my uncle must at some time "'have stood a siege from his indignant neighbors, "'perhaps with Jeanette Clouston at their head. "'Meanwhile the sun was shining outside, "'and being very cold in that miserable room, "'I knocked and shouted till my jailer came and let me out. "'He led me to the back of the house, "'where was a draw-well, "'and told me to wash my face there if I wanted. "'And when that was done, "'I made the best of my own way back to the kitchen, "'where he had lit the fire and was making the porridge.' The table was laid with two bowls and two horn spoons, but the same single measure of small beer. Perhaps my eye rested on this particular with some surprise, and perhaps my uncle observed it, for he spoke up as if in answer to my thought, asking me if I would like to drink ale, for so he called it. I told him such was my habit, but not to put himself about. "'Nay, nay,' said he, "'I'll deny you nothing in reason.' He fetched another cup from the shelf, and then to my great surprise, Instead of drawing more beer, he poured an accurate half from one cup to the other. There was a kind of nobleness in this that took my breath away. If my uncle was certainly a miser, he was one of that thorough breed that goes near to make the vice respectable. When we had made an end of our meal, my uncle Ebenezer unlocked a drawer and drew out of it a clay pipe and a lump of tobacco, from which he cut one fill before he locked it up again. Then he sat down in the sun at one of the windows and silently smoked. From time to time his eyes came coasting round to me, and he shot out one of his questions. Once it was, "'And your mother?' And when I had told him that she too was dead, "'Ay, she was a bonny lassie.' Then after a long pause, "'Who are these friends of yours?' I told him they were different gentlemen of the name of Campbell, though indeed there was only one. But I began to think my uncle made too light of my position, and finding myself all alone with him, I did not wish him to suppose me helpless.' He seemed to turn this information over in his mind, and then, "'Davy, my man,' said he, "'you've come to the right bit when you came to your Uncle Ebenezer. "'I've a great notion of the family, and I mean to do the right by you, "'but while I'm taking a bit think to myself, "'but I'm trying to think of what's the best thing to put you to, "'whether the law, or the ministry, or maybe the army, "'which is what the boys are fondest of. "'I wouldn't like the Balfours to be humbled before a wean Highland Campbells, "'and I'll ask you to keep your tongue within your teeth.' "'Nay, letters, nay, messages, no kind of word to anybody, or else there's the door.' "'Uncle Ebenezer,' said I, "'I've no manner of reason to suppose you mean anything but well by me. "'For all that, I would have you to know that I have a pride of my own. "'It was by no will of mine that I came seeking you, "'and if you show me your door again, I'll take you at your word gladly.' "'He seemed grievously put out. "'Hoot toot,' said he. "'Cacanny, man, cacanny. "'Bide here a day or two. "'I'm nay warlock to find a fortune for you "'in the bottom of a porch bowl. "'But you just give me a day or two "'and say nothing to nobody, "'and sure as sure I'll do the right by you.' "'Very well,' said I. "'Enough said. "'If you want to help me, "'there's no doubt but I'll be glad of it, "'and none but I'll be grateful.' "'It seemed to me, too soon, I dare say, "'that I was getting the upper hand of my uncle.' and I began next to say that I must have the bed and bedclothes aired and put the sun dry, for nothing would make me sleep in such a pickle. "'Is this my house or yours?' said he in his keen voice, and then all of a sudden broke off. "'Nay, nay,' said he, "'I do not mean that. What's mine is yours, Davy, my man, and what's yours is mine. Blood's thicker than water, and there's nobody but you and me that ought the name.' and then on he rambled about the family and its ancient greatness and his father that began to enlarge the house 
and himself that stopped the building is a sinful waste, and this put in my head to give him Jennet Clouston's message. "'That limmer!' he cried. "'Twelve hundred and fifteen! That's every day since I had her in a noose. I'll have her roasted on red peach before I'm by with it. A witch! A proclaimed witch! I'll often see the session clerk.' and with that he opened a chest and got out a very old and well-preserved blue coat and waistcoat and a good enough beaver hat, both without lace. These he threw on anyway, and taking a staff from the cupboard, locked all up again, and was for setting out, when a thought arrested him. "'I cannot leave you by yourself in the house,' said he. "'I'll have to lock you out.' The blood came to my face. "'If you lock me out,' I said, "'it'll be the last you see of me in friendship.' He turned very pale, "'and sucked his mouth in. "'This is not a way,' he said, "'looking wickedly at a corner of the floor. "'This is not a way to win my favor, David. "'Sir,' says I, "'with a proper reverence for your age and our common blood, "'I do not value your favor at the bottle's purchase. "'I was brought up to have a good conceit of myself, "'and if you were all the uncle and all the family "'I had in the world ten times over, "'I wouldn't buy your liking at such prices.' "'Uncle Ebenezer went and looked out of the window for a while. "'I could see him all trembling and twitching like a man with palsy, "'but when he turned round he had a smile upon his face. "'Well, well,' said he, "'we must bear and forbear. I'll no go. "'That's all that's to be said of it.' "'Uncle Ebenezer,' I said, "'I can make nothing out of this. "'You use me like a thief. "'You hate to have me in this house. "'You let me see it every word and every minute.' "'It's not possible that you can like me, "'and as for me, I've spoken to you "'as I never thought to speak to any man. "'Why do you seek to keep me, then? "'Let me gang back to the friends I have. "'And that like me. "'Nay, nay, I like you fine. "'We'll agree fine yet, "'and for the honor of the house, "'I couldn't let you leave the way you came. "'Bide here quiet. "'That's a good lad. "'Just you bide here quiet a biddle, "'and you'll find that we agree.' "'Well, sir,' said I, "'after I had thought the matter out in silence.' I'll stay a while. It's more just should I be helped by my own blood than strangers, and if we don't agree, it shall be through no fault of mine. Join us next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we continue with the classic novel Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. Until next week, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. (laughs) ¶¶